welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This episode is being recorded live from the NRF Big Show in New York City. We want to thank NRF for hosting us. As usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and hey, Jason and Scott Show fans. We are we have a guest on the show that you and I have been trying to get on here for a long time, and it worked out that she was at NRF. She's fresh off the stage. So um, let's jump right into it. We are excited to have from... Bonobos, the Chief Experience Officer, Dominique Essig. Can we call you Dom? You can call me Dom. Hey, Dom, welcome to the show. Thank you, guys. This is a huge honor. I'm very excited to be here. Cool. So we're here at NRF. What what were you speaking about? I was speaking about the omni-channel experience, in particular around mobile point of sale and clienteling uh, with Fit for Commerce and Tulip. Cool. Uh, Evidently, you listened to the podcast, so you're probably familiar with how we like to start this. We'd love to hear a little bit about your career, um, you know, how you got into retail, and, and then go from there. Sure. My evolution into retail is actually relatively new, um, but I graduated from Duke and thought I was going to be a lawyer and quickly realized that was not what I wanted to be. Yay. We don't need more lawyers. <laughs> um, so I started really quickly working for a company out of college called Jobs.com, which was like a monster, uh, .com or hot hot jobs, whatever you might want to call it. And, uh, and very soon, cause that was the bubble bust of 2000, 2001, that company went under. Uh, so quickly found myself at Travelocity where I was for 12 years, focus on all things, product management, global, uh, shopping platforms, hotels, flights, dynamic packaging, uh, focus Were you on, in New York at that point? I was still in Texas. Texas, okay. Uh, building out internal tooling, focusing on global expansion. Um, and then in 2013, I left Travelocity, I moved to New York, and I worked at Gilt, where I ran product and UX and design for two and a half years. And then I've now been at Bonobos, uh, Chief Experience Officer, for uh, about a year, a year, a little over a year. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I feel like we've had a bunch of uh, Guild alumni on yes. the show. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, you guys spun off a lot of great talent. There's a lot of great talent at that company, 100%. Cool. And you said you're a chief experience officer. So that, that uh, that's a cool title. Tell us what, what does that entail and what does it not entail? Yeah, sure. So my responsibilities really are focused on building great digital experiences. And that is done kind of in two ways. One, externally, what is the digital experience for our consumers? So everything from obviously what you see on the desktop, mobile web, uh, applications. And then internally, it's also focused on the technology that we leverage inside. So payment processors, IT infrastructure, security, PCI compliance, ERPs, all the sexy stuff there. So would the product team report to you or are they kind of a separate under the CTO and you're more like the product management where you're kind of like, here's the experience we want. You guys go build it. No. So my background is deep within product management. So I have the product managers. I have the UX team, user experience design. Um, I also have engineering, data science, and IT. And then I have two other teams. One would be uh, the insights and analytics team, which is all the qualitative and quantitative research that happens. Um, and then I also have our customer service team, which are our ninjas. 
Ooh, ninjas. Yes. <laughs> uh, so before we jump into that, I just I have heard a rumor that you've encouraged many of those team members to listen to the show, and so I just want to give a shout out to all all of uh, those folks. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we look at the analytics, we see you guys drop off after five minutes. So no, yeah. not me. Dom. No, <laughs> Dom knows. Now you have to listen to the whole shows. I'm gonna put in some Easter eggs there and make them listen to the very end. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned a very enticing word, ninjas. Yep. Tell us more about what a customer service ninja is. Yeah, so our customer service team is located in our headquarters. We have about 25 to 28 individuals, um, and that team is really focused on really the entire customer experience. So it could be pre-purchase, I need assistance on finding a particular product, size, fit, and also post-purchase, I have a return, exchange, or a question, shipping, whatever it might be. And they truly are ninjas in the sense that, um, you know, obviously it's all internal. They are incredibly empowered to have their own voice, um, their own spin and we I think it's a huge differentiator for us that it allows them to really build engaging customer experiences so if you interact with a ninja you typically come away with a really amazing experience you know our CSATs typically um, and net promoter scores are in the kind of you know kind of the five range or the net promoter scores might be kind of like north north of 90 95 even 100 in some cases how do you um, so one of the things I struggle with is I've just started a service business recently and you know yeah, there's issues and you can resolve them. But then we have a fair amount, probably like 5 to 10% of customers are like shopping for a discount. And, you know, you can kind of tell they're complaining. They're like, I'm really unhappy with this product. Well, why don't you return it? Well, can I just get a discount? How do you, how do you, there's always this interesting line you draw there where the customer's always right, but then sometimes you have customers that are trying to take advantage. Have you, um, how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that always happens, I think, in retail and particularly, obviously, with e-commerce where it is become so deal focused. Um, so what we've done recently, we use a a tool called Looker, and we've really built this dashboard or platform out for our Ninja team. So for every customer contact that calls, if you've purchased, we have a really good sense of who you are as a consumer. So what's your lifetime value? What's your average day to repeat purchase? What's your return rate? What percentage of your purchases are promo? So I think what that has enabled our Ninja team to do is to really tailor the experience based on the type of customer you are. So there's always a bar that we want to have the best customer experience. But, you know, for our, kind of our top customers, we really try and work with them to make sure it's the best experience possible. Interesting. So it's kind of personalized how you make those decisions and you trust the ninjas to make the right decision. Which a is, tremendous amount yeah. of empowerment that happens with them. Interesting. Did you guys, is that a, uh, just something that, that you and Andy have come up with or have you looked at other companies like Zappos? does a lot of this kind of stuff too and they, they have kind of super interesting culture. Um, have you guys kind of... Who do you look at to, to get that kind of a, you know, that vibe on your team? Yeah, I think Zappos is a great example of of how they think about the consumer um, and always making it right. Nordstrom's is another example. I think we just really err on the side of the fact that we want to develop a relationship with our customer. And you can't do that by penny pitching and not, you know, being thoughtful about the long-term relationship. And so we do think in terms of lifetime value. We do think about kind of the entire year and multiple years, and we look at the value of those customers over time. So for us, customer service is actually just a huge tenet of who we are. Um, Bonobos, we think a lot about it in, in every team, and we continue to enforce that. Ninjas are one way to, by which we do it. Our guides are another way which we do it. But but every every team, I think, is really focused on creating great experiences. Uh, I want to uh, deep dive in that a little bit more, but uh, before I do, quick public service announcement. Have you ever taken the Zappos tour? 
I have not actually, and I I had planned to be at a conference uh, last June out in Vegas, and I had I thought about doing it. So that has definitely got to be on my my list. I can't highly recommend enough that the listeners and you, uh, when you're in Las Vegas sometime, Zappos has made it super convenient. They're incredibly transparent. They send a a cool van to pick you up at your hotel. They feed you. They give you like this hour and a half tour of their facility, and you like sit over the shoulder of someone that's getting trained in customer service and some, you know, folks that are talking to customers and, uh, uh, it's amazing how much of their process you see all their KPIs amazing. on the wall. It's yeah. 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 It's, I mean, I personally spend a, a, a lot of time with the ninjas and, and it honestly could be more, but every three weeks I'm in there taking calls, chat, you know, trying to make sure that I'm actually experiencing what our customers are doing. And I also think one of the special things about Bonobos for Cyber Monday, the entire company rallies. And so Every almost every single person, we have three chefs, gets on chat, gets on phone, gets on email. And I think that just creates a culture where the entire organization rallies around the experience that you're creating. Yeah. Are there any other, so retailers really struggle with this. So are there any other cultural things you guys have done? So Zappos has the whole thing where they'll pay you to leave early. Um, you know, they reward you for doing all kinds of zany things. Have you guys done any, and it sounds like you've got this not only in the ninjas, but throughout the company. Um, how, how have you, uh, indoctrinated everyone into that that mindset. Yeah, I think the ninjas have a, a special culture that is incredibly unique. Um, even within Bonobos as a whole, I think the way that they think about training, the way that they empower um, the team members, I think that goes into a lot about the people that we hire and and we really do look at a strong cultural fit. And, and there's obviously a heavy emphasis on kind of key KPIs when you think about um, the job that they're doing and, um, and we really want to make sure. But I think, um, you know, I would say that is one of the most special places. I think where we have to do a better job is how we continue to bring that out into the entire organization. We share a lot of the learnings, but I think we could be more prolific in that in that sense. Um, but yes. Yeah, Is there transparency around CSAT and NPS? Like if I'm a ninja, can I see my own CSAT and NPS? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I part think, of that dashboard yeah, thing? That's, yeah. And that's part of the, obviously, the coaching exercises that happen between the manager and the team. Um, but we do share that even broadly within the organization. And, um, you know, the, that's been one of the best things about moving to Looker. It's a centralized you know, data repository, and it makes it really easy for people to understand how we're performing as an organization. Cool. And then um, when you're telling us about what is in your world, you know, you have a lot of different, um, you know, ways people interface with you digitally. Uh, So you've got, you know, the website and you mentioned an app. Um, How do you think about those things? And and do you guys use personas? Uh, What are some of the ways you start to slice and get into that to make sure that every customer is having the best possible experience they can? Yeah, I think we, I will be honest, I think we're in our infancy in that sense. So we are absolutely using data, uh, both qualitative and quantitative, and much more extensively. We've done uh, segmentation, so we've broken out our customers by customer lifetime value. Recently just done persona activities, too, to understand, you know, when we think about the Bonobos customer, how do they kind of fall into into buckets? Um, and then the next evolution for us will be actually taking that out to the broader male shopping world. So how do our personas fit within the broader context around how men generally shop? Um, so I think there's still a, a long journey for us to continue to educate. Uh, and understand, but I will say we've done a tremendous amount of work just thinking about how and why customers shop at Bonobos. And so we, we use this term kind of the Bonobos man. And so what is it that excites them about Bonobos? Why do they come to us versus any other store? Uh, so it just occurred to me as you were talking about your target shopper, 
Scott and I are huge fans and use Bonobos as as an example, hopefully favorable example, uh, often, and we jumped right in. Maybe uh, a few listeners might not be as familiar with uh, your business model. In a a nutshell, world's best-selling, best-fitting pants for men. Yeah, so Uh, it's a a brand that was started in 2007 by two founders who were at uh, Stanford Business School, focused on the aim of really solving two problems. One, how do you create a better-fitting men's pant? And that has really extended to be the entire assortment. So I joke that we have everything from tuxedos to bathing suits, shorts, shirts, suits, um, obviously the pant, tops, et cetera, uh, outerwear. And then the second part of that is around how do you remove the hassles that happen around shopping. So the original kind of um, uh, starting point was obviously digitally. That evolved in the end of 2011 to 2012 to create the concept of a guide shop. And so a guide shop is an inventory-less showroom, if you could think about it. So we carry every size and every color, but not every size in every color. And uh, really happens where customers can make an appointment or walk in. And it is a true kind of one-to-one service. So they've got guides. That's our, our store associate. And the guide is there really to educate the user about Bonobos, about the products we offer, help them find their size and fit, and then establish a relationship. If a guide got in a fight with a ninja, who would yeah. win? I'm probably the ninja. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. yeah, they sound tougher. And they, have the throwing, they have the Bonobos throwing stars, which yes. always helps. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so one of those two founders, Andy Dunn, I, I feel like I've disclosed on the show that I might have a little man crush yeah. on him. Uh, uh, a little. Well. Yeah. Rest- restraining. Uh, be we'll appro- talk about the restraining. appropriate. The reason know? Andy's not on yeah. is because of the restraining order. But we'll, yeah. Let's, I don't want to we'll get creepy. Yeah. <laughs> One of the, the things he's written a lot about and that we, we now frequently use on the show is uh, digitally native vertical brands. Um, obviously, uh, he writes about them because you are a great example of a digitally native vertical brand. Um, when you were talking about the ninjas and one of the core advantages uh, with uh, taking care of um, uh, concessions was that you had this great visibility to each customer and customer lifetime value – to a lot of our omni-channel retailers, they're super jealous of that, right? Yes. Because their customer data is siloed in 10 different databases, and they just don't have visibility to that, that complete customer. Yep. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, like, do you overtly try, uh, look for ways to leverage that as a competitive advantage? And, and ha- like, what are the biggest advantages in your mind of being a... And does it extend to the guide shops? Yes. So if, if I walk in the guide shop, is someone going to be, is a little light going to flash off and say, this is a top customer kind of thing? Well, there's, there's no light yet, uh, but we'll get, we'll get one of those, I'm sure, when yeah. you walk in next. <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, so that to me is a huge, being a digitally native vertical brand, I think one, owning the brand as it relates to the products you create, but also the experience. Um, one of the huge opportunities I think we have is the fact that all of our data is sitting in one location. And so regardless of what channel you actually engage in, um, we know it's you, right? So you walk into a guide shop, whether you made an appointment or not, by simply just capturing your email address, we can instantly bring up your profile. And I think then if you purchase in the guide shop or you decide to go home and then purchase on web, there's a tremendous opportunity where we connect all of that. So I feel obviously working at two previous companies that were 
um, selling a third party and then lots of kind of information about, I feel a tremendous advantage and opportunity here to leverage what the customer has told us either by explicitly or through their actions and then creating better experiences. So we do use that data constantly. There's been a tremendous amount of research and understanding on our side to understand how both digital, like the web and the, and the guide shops play together. Um, and that has been incredibly exciting. Have you ever, so it's uh, using the data to make better customer experience is one thing. Have you ever taken it all the way back and kind of said, wow, here's a product that we, we, the data is telling us we're missing product X. Let's go create product X. Have you, you guys actually gone all the way back through the supply chain for that? So right now it's more, um, I would say more of our customer feedback is based on what customers are saying either they love or didn't love about the product. Um, and that has been coming either through our guides or our ninjas. Your model is slightly different than the overwhelming majority of retailer. You're not doing transactions in the store. You don't have inventory to go in the store. Um, and We'll jump into it in a minute, but I'm imagining there's some significant advantages to that. Uh, do you still feel like the exact same, same site criteria apply? So the store is essentially a customer experience point for you, a marketing point for you. Um, I know a bunch of tools have emerged, uh, or services rather, that people use to kind of score sites. Are those? Are, do you use any of those tools, and are they still relevant to you since you're... You're, you're not necessarily selling goods out of the store? Well, so we do sell goods. I think the, the main difference there is that you don't walk out with the product, yeah. right? And so what that happens, we have a warehouse and that typically ships within could be two to five business days, depending upon where you are. So the transaction actually does happen. The guide is helping them through the the size, the kind of catalog, the assortment. Um, and then they actually do complete that transaction. And then really, I would say recently or within the last year, we implemented a new point of sale that we now leverage in the store. And so that is a, a been a tremendous benefit for our guides. They walk around with an iPad and it allows them either to complete the transaction or to send kind of a wish list or send a reminder. Um, and, and we track the purchases that way. And that all goes back into our centralized database. Gotcha. And we're a geeky show, so what yes. point is there? So, so we're using system. Tool Up at this time, um, which has been really tremendously helpful for us. Um, and that we piloted pretty extensively uh, early last year, rolled out into all stores in April. And then the next evolution for us will be launching Klein Telling, which will be most likely February. Very cool. And shout out to Rads, uh, yes. uh, one of our show super fans who uh, works at Tulip. Yes. Yeah, yeah he has Tulip uh, in Boston his head right now. I, I yeah, heard, have you seen yeah. him at the show? No, I have not. I need to. Have you ever thought of having bonobos uh, cut into your hair? No, that, that may not go over so well <laughs> with my hair, but <laughs> maybe a headband or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But, yeah, I try to get Jason to have Jason and Scott show put in. but I, I like that. Maybe yeah. a sticker or a tattoo or something. I have yeah, stickers for you oh, and your whole team. So yeah. excited. Yeah. One, so as the chief, the experienced person, I, I've heard some negativity around the fact I go to these guide shops, I see that jacket I want to buy, why can't I walk out with it? How do you how do you answer that to the customer? There, they're so used to that retail experience, and even Apple is showroomy, but you can walk out with the product. Yeah. How, how do you answer that? To yeah, that's folks? a good. I mean, I will say that's probably the minority that of feedback that we get. There's some consumers who aren't aware of the model, and and it's slightly confusing for them, and they don't understand it. I will say though, overwhelmingly though, um, our research and when we talk to customers is they actually find that quite 
desirable and the fact that I don't have to carry it out. And, um, but yeah, there are times when I need that shirt like in the next hour or I need a tie within the next hour. There's a, a, a very little amount of product that does go out. We do sell in some cases product that comes out of the store. I would say it's a small minority compared to the, to the larger. Um, but I think also because we offer free shipping, free returns, um, you know, it's, it's generally depending upon where you are, it could be one to two days or it could be five if you're in California. It happens pretty quickly that the customers really understand and are quite comfortable with that. Got it. And uh, there's obvious benefits because you don't have to have all that inventory. It could be a smaller store. What's the footprint of a guide shop? Yeah, so it typically averages anywhere from could be 900 to 1,500 square feet. Okay. Um, but I think the bigger statistic is that a majority of the floor, roughly 90% of the floor, is actually focused on the experience. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously a lot of conversations around, you know, how do you, how do people are spending more of their money on experiences? And we like to think about bonobos as an experience. And so people can come in. It's not pushy. It's very airy. But it is a, a smaller footprint than your traditional retail store. And how many guide shops are there right now? So we have 30 guide shops around the country wow. right now, and uh, we'll be 31 in February. We're opening a store in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a pretty good uh, docket for this year, too, as well. Yeah, it seems like a big part of your strategy. Going it is. Forward. I think it's been a great opportunity, you know, obviously from a marketing sense to let people know who we are. But I think it really has been an awesome experience where people can walk in and get to know who we are. You know, there is that aspect of I want to talk to you to figure out who you are. Um, and our guides are just a huge advocate on really explaining what Bonobos is, helping the customer, you know, educate them about the assortment, finding the right size and fit. And, and the metrics have proved to be incredibly valuable. Can I return to a store? Sure. Okay. Yes, you can return or so exchange. Boom, you're better than Amazon, right? There. Yes, you yeah. can't. Yes, I was in their store in <laughs> yeah. San Diego, okay. but um, yes, you can return to a store, and that's something that you've always been able to do. But we're continuing to try and perfect and really make sure that that's super easy for customers. Can I do you Bopus? Can I buy online and pick up in your store? Not at this time. You cannot. No, but I think given the fact that the our UPS and we're shipping so fast, it's not been as necessary. But yeah, and you obviously don't ship from store because yeah, correct. You know, I've been. The So you end up with much better analytics than a lot of other retailers about your online to offline or offline to online attribution. Yes. Um, so you mentioned free returns, uh, free shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, for most retailers, that's hugely expensive. Yes. Because uh, returns in apparel are super high. I think Andy has a quote I use all the time. E-commerce is awesome as long as you don't care about EBITDA. Yes. Um, so I'm curious, do the guide shops help eliminate returns? Since you can see those customers that are sort of omni-channel versus the online-only customer, are, like, do they get better fitment information and better product information in the guide shop and as a result have lower returns? Yeah, so we see a tremendous amount of metrics um, in the guide shop that are very different, obviously, than web. Return rate is one of those. It's about half um, or or maybe just slightly more, but uh, it's incredibly favorable. Um, and we also see, obviously, differences in, you know, AOV, or uh, which is average order value, or units per transaction. So the, the physical store is actually a really great opportunity from us from an economic standpoint, obviously not just having smaller stores, but the value that the customer drives. And so do you do any proactive marketing to your online shoppers to we leverage do. guide shops? We do in a couple different ways. So I think I think we, we will get better at that this year. But there's also the relationship that the guide creates with the customer. And so once that relationship uh, starts, um, you know, there is a lot of the guide reaching back out to the customer. How was that experience? Or how does that product? Hey, you mentioned you needed a suit for that wedding. We've got some new ones in. So I think there's the there. it's happening in two ways. One, organically, but also more kind of, you know, within our marketing lane too as well. Yep. 
so I want to ask a little bit more about the in-store guide shop experience. Uh, and I, I suspect this is an overt ex- uh, decision, but um, the your digitally native brand, you walk into the store and it's a very brand-centric experience, but what it doesn't feel like very much is a very digital experience. So yes. I might have almost expected to see like kiosks and digital signs and all kinds of things tying my online behavior to the the in-store experience. Magic mirrors. Jason's a sucker yes. for a magic mirror. I, no magic mirrors. Um, the I'm curious, like, did you, I mean, obviously there's a lot of digital you're using in the store to inform the guides and the, mm-hmm. that's inter, uh, affecting their interaction with the customer, but was there an overt decision to make the store feel less techie? And- I don't think if, I, I don't think it was a, an overt decision. I think that we've definitely talked a lot more about that. You know, do you want to bring more tech in, into that, um, into the store? But I think what actually is special about, you know, the experience that we have today is that it is, very focused on the customer. And so it is truly one-to-one. I mean, you walk in, your guide is your stylist, you know, your, uh, someone who's on, onboarding you about the brand, but they're also your confidant to some extent to really help the guy think about style, which is maybe a taboo word for, for most men. But so I don't think, um, more technology is actually necessary for us. I think, you know, what we've done is put technology in to remove some of the hassle, which is around the transaction part. And so that we feel is really seamless and very automated now. Um, but we really do want, you know, the guide and the consumer to have that kind of relationship back and forth. Um, so we definitely talked about it. I mean, I, I think magic mirrors are super interesting as well. Um, for us, I don't think it's as necessary. It would be a little silly because the guide's standing outside your dressing room. And so, you don't need to push the button that you need assistance. We're, we're literally <laughs> yeah. right there waiting for you. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it makes sense in a ton of a ton of uh, examples for us. It's just not as not as important. Now, do the guide shops have parity with online? Like every SKU that's online is in the guide shop. Yes, in Something? most cases, yeah. I think there are some exceptions. Uh, I mean, we don't need parkas in Miami or um, yeah. and so forth. But but in most cases, yes, we are we are carrying the full assortment. Um, there are, there are a couple of exceptions. You guys do fun seasonals. Um, those probably aren't in the stores. Um, no, they, they are absolutely. Okay. And, and what we find too is that, um, those can be really, really successful in store because there is something to seeing that fun, uh, you know, what might be flamingo shirt or watermelon shirt in person. And so what you do find is because those can be a little bit more fashion forward as the guide really does help the consumer understand how to wear that. It is that style component. So we actually do quite well with those fashion forward items in the store. Don't wear the flamingo shirt to the NRF gala. That kind of suggestion. <laughs> perhaps not. Yeah, perhaps right, not. Right. Yeah. Good. You haven't gone to hear any of the shows that have been recorded uh, today, but I'm taking a lot of beef for maybe not wearing a tie to the uh, gala last uh, night. Oh, last the night. The black tie yeah. gala. I heard yeah. you won an award last night. Uh, yeah, the awards were coming kind of fast and loose. So uh, I, okay. Like, <laughs> no, I heard it was a big deal. Yeah, this it, it was a total big deal to my wife. Okay. Yes. Well, yes, congratulations. And mom, your mom's yeah, excited. Mom's very happy. <laughs> was she there? Very much. She was standing up on the front row. Yeah, and told Scott out of me for not wearing a tie. Now my time. mom's a, like in super big trouble. Yeah. Uh, so what's the next step for the guide shop? So are there areas of this, uh, the experience that you still think are? Opportunities that you haven't t- untapped yet? Or? Yeah, I think from a technology perspective, uh, I mentioned clienteling will be the next big step for us. So we'll pilot that in February, really figure out how we continue to make that work. And the goal will be, how do you kind of standardize or really enable the guide to be more successful with their client book, 
watch metrics, but still allow them to have that relationship and that voice. So that, from a technology perspective, is important. Uh, we're rolling out a new point of sale, which should happen over the next couple of weeks. So um, you'll actually get the physical swipe of the credit card or, or Apple Pay will happen in store, which I was pretty excited I did last week. Nice. Um, so we'll be rolling that out. And then support Samsung Pay, Android Pay. I think it does. Visa, Touchless, Master. Jason I don't know if it's all of those. But Husky I, Oil Pay. Maybe. Canada maybe. Tire. Yeah. So um, that will be a huge component for us. And then um, and then I think what's nef- next will also be a little bit more softer. So how do we continue to make sure the brand and the value proposition and really, you know, standardize and, and streamline the way that we do that with our guides and our ninjas? You know, those are the two groups that talk most with our customers. And I think there's a lot more work we could do around, you know, keeping their voice and what makes them really unique, but also really kind of bring back it to the brand. And so a lot of work there. Yeah. One trend we've seen here at this show is um, spending more time in associates. And it sounds like you guys do. How, how do you train those guides? It, it seems like it'd be you're in 30 markets, maybe eventually it'll be in a couple hundred. Yeah. Um, you bring them all here to corporate HQ, give them X hours of training. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about some of the best practices. So we have, we've actually hired a new VP of retail, which we're incredibly excited, who's like four weeks into the company. So I suspect the way that we do it could entirely change. And um, and I know he's been you know traveling to to meet the team. Um, most of the training happens kind of at the store um, and that might be done with obviously the store manager and regionally. And then there's obviously kind of connection back to the headquarters, which is incredibly important. Um, you know, it's not been unmanageable, but our, our team is definitely growing pretty, pretty fast. Uh one of the, the trends I'm seeing on the floor, I don't know if you've got a chance to walk yet, is there's a lot more um, imaging being used for collecting metrics in the store. So cameras as traffic counters and smarter, more sophisticated traffic counters that can like measure employee interactions with customers and cameras to measure like merchandising compliance and conversion rates and things like that. Have you guys, is that part of the store? Is that something you've considered or? Uh, We've definitely talked a little bit about it. It hasn't been the primary focus. I think, uh, we haven't felt as concerned about that in the nature because when you walk in, we we immediately kind of establish that relationship and 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 figure out who you are. And um, about half of the transactions are, are folks that walk in the store or by appointment, and then about half are kind of true walk-ins. So I think we've it's not been a huge focus at this time. I think as our our storefront continues to grow over the next you know year and even a couple of years, I think we'll start to get more into that space. Uh, so an interesting point about that, like the, the guides greet you when you come in the store. Um, haven't done a lot of work in like the consumer electronics industry in the past at Best yeah. Buy. Um, we did a, a bunch of studies that sort of revealed that, uh, there are customers that want to be yes. full, uh, assisted sale customers and they immediately want to pair up with a good sales associate. There are self-service customers that, don't want to be paired up with that associate, but the majority of customers actually want both. They want like some buffer when they get to be self-service and then they want to shift to a full service experience to make their purchase decisions. Um, it feels a little bit like you sort of take that decision out of the hands of the customers in the guide shops. Like they, they interact with a guide very early on in the store. Is that? Like, do you think about self-service? Yeah, I think we do both, to be fair, right? So because not every size, you know, you you walk up to, you know, perhaps might be our stretch brush chinos, and we have a variety of colors, but it's all in one size. And so I think there is this aspect that we do allow the customers to browse, and I I think 
you know, beautifully our guides are not pushy. Um, and people like that, that they can engage when they need to, but it's not, we're not jumping into your face. But in order to get a size, if you need a different size, if, you're, if it's not on the floor, then you have to engage with us. So um, I think we actually kind of do a nice mix between the two that's that's not overly pushy. But the first and foremost, the, the first thing the guide say is obviously welcome to Bonobos. And then do you know a little bit about us? Because if you walked around and all you saw was size mediums, you could be incredibly frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's oh, the... Oh, you've walked into the medium stores or the small stores next <laughs> Yeah, door. you have to go to the next one. So I think that is the first opportunity just to make sure that customers understand and that we have a plethora of sizes in the back and we're very happy to, to let you look or to really engage with you if you need that. Going back to the digital side, um, any interesting stories? So, so in Channel Advisor, we're always surprised by these weird correlations. Like one that comes to mind is we have all these sporting good clients. We looked one time and there's a correlation between people that buy treadmills and hot tubs. Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah, this unusually high percentage of people bought both in like this window of time. Have you found any of those that were kind of counterintuitive or you're kind of like, hmm, this is really interesting data? What's it telling us? No, I, I, I think we have a tremendous amount of interesting data that I think is incredibly fascinating about how men shop. But the one that I really, um, want and have been trying to convince our data science team to to do is to look at the since we offer five different fits everything from tailored to slim straight athletic and boot cut I've been um, trying to get our data science team to look at does fit matter by locale and so do you have certain parts of the country that buy one fit versus other parts of the country that buy another type of fit um, so that's a kind of a hypothesis I have but uh, you know we focused much more today on what our guys are looking for bonobos why do they shop with us? Um, we have incredibly loyal customers. You know, that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to work at this company. When you talk to a Bonobos customer, they are just so happy with their experience. They just love it. So there was something in that secret sauce that I was like, I need to understand more about. And we do a lot of research, a lot of qualitative research and quantitative to say, why is that? And, and why do men like coming to Bonobos? Yeah. How about um, any stories you can tell us about CX wins where, you know, you looked at some data and maybe there's too many clicks on a mobile app or anything like that and, and you had some big wins there? So I think there were just a whole host of things that we started to figure out when I started. Um, you know, everything from how do we make sure that we have the most optimal checkout experience, which actually works quite well on a mobile, to even performance. I mean, as simple as that is, we're doing a whole amount of work right now with our team on performance and how do we just make our pages faster. And and that's so basic, right? But you can lose focus of some of the basic, um, you know, core kind of core competencies. Um, one interesting one, because we offer so many fi- so many sizes, so many fits, and so many different variables. So for what could be our daily grind, which is kind of a men's dress shirt, you know, we offer three different types of collar. We offer three different types of fit. We offer a variety of colors, um, <laughs> pocket, no pocket. You know, what we found was a little bit of a paralysis of choice. And, and I think um, it is almost like designing your own shirt in some sense. And so I think we've started to focus a lot more on how do we continue to make that easier and easier. And I think some cases we're doing it better. In some cases, we still have a ways to go. So, you know, instead of doing drop down pickers, now how do you just expose that to the consumer? Um, And then watching that, obviously, across all channels and devices, because it's very different how people engage with mobile versus desktop. So. Yeah, that's uh, as a listener, you probably know that's one of our favorite topics, the the mobile versus desktop. Have you guys solved the 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 conversion Great mobile divide. There, or are you, you guys just chipping away at it? No, I think we've not solved it. Um, like a lot of people have, but I, but I actually don't, 
I don't know if that's so bad in some sense. I think you have to figure out where you have huge, huge discrepancies that are just, you know, really doesn't allow the customer to, to interact. And, and I, you know, we still have some of those scenarios. Um, but I will say that I think our mobile conversion is, is far greater than the industry average. Maybe I'll tell you offline what it is so you can be wowed by that. But, but there's still huge opportunities for us. Um, and what we've found though is the customers that are on mobile are the heavily engaged consumers. And so we continue to think about how do we continue to make great experiences for those. And so lots of work, lots more work for us to do there. You mentioned four replatformings. What what platform are we on now? So now, so we started with with Spree, um, and we've now evolved that to be completely independent in house. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I have a really talented team. They're quite phenomenal. Well, it wouldn't be a Jason and Scott show uh, without the Amazon question. Um, have you, had, do you think about Amazon? How do you guys see them? They recently um, you know, are, are they're doing a lot in private label. They're getting more into apparel, which is kind of starting to overlap you guys. Uh, they've had their own khaki for a while. They just came out with some dress shirts. Uh, how do you guys think about that? And I'd love to hear your overall thoughts on Amazon. Yeah, I think like any retailer, without a doubt, I absolutely think about Amazon. Um, I think it's silly not to. I mean, one and, you know, first and foremost, they, they have... Uh, evaded, but also, or sorry, invaded, but um, also become just part of the daily decision set. And so whether I'm, I don't know, buying, you know, uh, something for my son, something to play with, or I need paper towels, you know, you go to Amazon. So I think about them all the time. And I think a lot about how they think about the consumer, right? The consumer is always first. Um, you know, as it reads to, to retail, it's incredibly fascinating what they're doing. And, and, I, and I watch it very, very closely. I think what they've yet to quite figure out, though, is how do brands come alive with in their space. Um, and so I have to keep my eye on what Amazon is doing, but I also have to stay super focused on what our customers love about us. And that's the relationship. Um, but like any retailer, I'm always watching what they're doing. I think they're incredibly innovative. You know, I think what they are so um, fascinating is they remove the hassle. It's all about making it so much easier for the customer. And I think, you know, Apple does that incredibly well. And so I think uh, innovation lies in the in the friction, and so when I think about why do guys not purchase with us, or why do they, or how do they think about shopping and, and clothing, I really think about how do I attack the friction for them. Yeah, as a brand, um, it's a very it's a kind of existential question of if you should sell on Amazon or not. Yeah, I'm sure you guys always vigorously debate this, um, and to the best of my knowledge, you don't sell on Amazon. No, not just kind of want to have you know that relationship. Uh, we're seeing more and more, you know, I, I've been at this for 15 years and you know, 15 years ago, no brand would ever sell on Amazon. Yeah. And now we're really seeing that kind of crumble and many, many more brands are, are selling and embracing the one P and because they, you know, their argument is we can't afford not to be there because it's so big. How, how do you guys come to the decision where you're not selling there and, and how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think I, I would just say that that's a heavy topic for us and, and a discussion. And it's one that we're talking about quite frequently. And um, I think, you know, every retailer should be having that discussion because it's in, incredibly important to make sure that you um, are very focused on what's happening around you. And um, But at this time, I, I think we just continue to stay focused on our customer and continue to stay focused on our guy. And you keep having those discussions and you keep figuring out what's right for you, you know, in your company. Got it. 
Yeah. Are there retailers in other segments that you admire in terms of their their uh, digital experiences or oh, yeah. I mean, I, experiences? I definitely, but I think even beyond retail, but I mean, clearly Amazon <laughs> is, is phenomenal. I think a lot about Nordstrom's and the relationship that they have. Um, but even if you just think about, you know, the everyday experience, whether it's the, you know, the kind of the podcast app that I'm listening to or, you know, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with the WNYC um, app. And so I just always think about how and why are they creating the products that they're creating. I think that's incredibly important. Um, and, and I look for nuances in that experience and say, go back to my team and say, you know, would we do something like this or how does that matter? One of the biggest uh, kind of controversies in UX is Uber's, they did their redesign where, yeah. you know, now you just kind of say, you used to be able to kind of like you know, walk yourself through the process. And now you just kind of say, where's your destination? Um, how do you feel about that? Any reactions to that? I mean, at first I probably like a lot of other Uber users was like, what is this? This is so, this is so crazy. What, you, how, you know? Um, and now it's like, oh, wow, you've removed 12 steps. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with, you know, um, I always say that user experience is incredibly emotional, right? So anytime you touch the UI, it's, it's emotional in the sense that some people love it. Some people hate it. And we talk a lot about that. I think the only other thing that's so emotional in our company is probably data. Um, um, and so when you're talking about data, people get incredibly emotional about what does the data say? What is it doing? Um, so I think it's phenomenal. I think you all, you should constantly be listening to what your customers say. We do a ton of qualitative data. So whether that's surveys, focus groups, you know, it's, it's incredibly important for us to, to listen to what the guys are saying. Yeah. Um, one thing all startups uh, kind of struggle with is, do you go deep or wide? Um, so for a while there, you guys experimented with going wide. So you had a women's line and that kind of thing. And now it seems like the focus is more go deep with the guide shops and staying with the men's theme. Um, that may have predated you, but you yeah. probably have picked it up as, as you've been there. Tell us a little bit more about that and, and you know, the pros and cons. Yeah, so I uh, started kind of at the tail end of that, but Bonobos had started a, a women's uh, vertical brand called Air. A-Y-R, which stood for all year round. Um, and early in my time at Bonobos, spun that out, and they are doing phenomenally well in both uh, e-commerce as well as wholesale. And um, But I think for us, it was just about focus. And you know, you, you say you can scale, but the reality is you still have to make that decision, am I going to build this for that or, or for you know Bonobos or for Air? And so for us, it's just been a, a super strong focus on the man, um, thinking about what he needs. And so every ounce of resources that we have, is you know goes back into into the Bonobos experience. Uh, services. So I feel like uh, you walked in the store and that you know there's a little bit of a man cave ex- uh, <laughs> feel. Is there like have you guys thought about extending in the services in the guide shops? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked. To, you're probably assuming like made to order or kind of custom suiting, and I you know, we've definitely talked about that. I think there's been a lot of movement on that business. Um, can be really interesting for uh, for the Bonobos customer, and I think we've we've definitely uh, you know kind of investigated that from a qualitative perspective. Um, I would say too, though, a lot of our options today almost feel like you are creating your custom suit, whether it's the as I said, I went into the detail of the shirts or the kind of the size of fit that you can pick from a um, from a suiting perspective. Um, so I think that's something that's definitely up for discussion for us, but you know, maybe still to be determined. I'm thinking like a Harry's barber chair. Yeah. 
in the... Oh, they're a fantastic company, too, obviously, out of New York and um, yeah. doing some really amazing things. Really so are you DN, New York D&D people that get together and have beers or something? <laughs> Is there some, like, formal way you guys Se- hang out? Secret yeah, I, I definitely yeah. talk a lot um, with the Warby team, and I definitely talk a lot with the, the Harry's team. And, you know, there's a tremendous amount of similarities between our businesses and also a tremendous amount of differences. So I think it's really interesting to, to see how people are attacking that. And I definitely walk into a Warby store and look around and see what's happening. Yeah. Without a doubt. Now, Harry's came out of Warby, right? Like one of the founders left to start Harry's? Yeah. Right. So yeah. one of the co-founders of Warby uh, ended up starting Harry's. Okay. Cool. Uh, so living in New York, it's huge retail capital. There are a bunch of new stores that have opened lately. Have you any been in any interesting stores lately that you would... I wish I had more time to. No, I mean, I've, I've definitely been into some of the interesting stores. I recently was in a, an Amazon bookstore, though, but that was actually in San Diego. Yep. But that was incredibly fascinating to to try out and see. Um, super excited to to see the Amazon Go store that you guys talked about a couple of days ago or weeks ago. Cra- crazy fascinating. Mm-hmm. So. That that uh, San Diego store is in the University Town Center. That was my hometown mall yeah. growing up. So I'm very excited that yeah there's a bonobo a... store right in the middle of that so well obviously yes exactly. that's probably their real estate strategy is to follow bonobos it, i i hope so <laughs> there you go <laughs> the uh, i feel like everyone's buzzing about the nike store here um i haven't had a chance to visit it have you been to that i have it's a great store in uh they just opened in soho it's a six-story uh flagship nike town yeah. um and it's it's totally amazing i think they're running a new point of sale solution in that too as well or um which is pretty interesting. So yeah, they're doing some interesting clienteling stuff. They have some like event space in there. Um, they just have a bunch of immersive experiences. One of my all-time favorite retail stores is not is around the corner from that is the Perch Store oh. in Soho. Uh, which if you haven't been to that, you should. I've not. I'll have to check that out. You should totally go to that. That uh, my my big premise for all these digital discovery experiences. Mm-hmm. If I come to Bonobos and I know I need. A particular product, like I think we've gotten really good at search, and and whether we execute or not, we know what the best practices are to have a really low friction experience. But I'm not sure we've done a great job yet digitally of having browsers land on our site and figuring out how to create inspiration and create demand when they just want to be inspired. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, e-commerce in some sense can actually be very utilitarian. And so there's not a lot of emotion that has been... You know, our guide shops have been a space by which we can create that yeah. experience and that emotion. And um, and we have a lot of guys that come in and they say, you know, I, I either need pants like tomorrow because yep. I don't have any pants. And so we kind of help them. And that that never happened. <laughs> that, um, you know, that cart actually grows beyond just pants or they come in and they say, hey, I have to go to this wedding. It's a it's a beach formal wedding. Like, what does that mean? And so the guide can can translate that into, OK, here's how I think you could style beach. Um, but I would say we, we are absolutely lacking that right now i would think in our digital experience and so we're working on that is is what i'll say um and and tease a little bit and and we we believe that we have an opportunity to create a more engaging experience for us and particularly around mobile it's not just about a shopping experience because i think that doesn't really make it that compelling for us it's been also about engagement and so that's something that will be coming for us so the perch store is home fixtures. Yes. And uh, downstairs is like the, the bathroom plumbing fixtures. So you walk into that store, you go downstairs into the shower room. Yeah. And they have like 50 shower heads with a cool touchscreen. So you can turn on it. all 50 showers. and Simultaneously? Have you done you, that? You can. Yeah. And the plumbing for that is super non-trivial. Wow, I imagine. Um, the, but what I love about that is 
you could walk in there with no interest in a shower whatsoever, and it's almost impossible to walk out of there without wanting a new shower. Yeah, right? it's and pretty so, amazing. So my my personal goal digitally is just to figure out how to recreate that. And yeah. I, I, I wish I knew what the answer was and I would tell you. But They have a, a pretty cool store in Dallas that I've been into, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, the showers and the steam rooms and then the grills. And yep, um, yep. they've definitely created a, a great engaging experience um, as well. Yeah, I think I think we have something that will speak to the guy that we're pretty excited about. And, and it really is about that kind of moments of, of need, um, you know, around whether it's a particular product or whether it's around a particular destination. Um, but I don't think, you know, that will ever replace that relationship with the guide it's such a uh important component and men do like to touch and feel things and they want to try them on and so i think that's a you know making sure that both our digital experiences and our guide shops work together is is very important for us i heard all men hate shopping is that not true (laughs) they do not not all men a lot but not all i totally agree (laughs) uh any thoughts or plans around like creating content or experiences to get more frequency of visit like i presume you can only shop for apparel so many times a year yeah i think you'd be quite surprised though i mean our some of our top customers are are shopping way beyond beyond kind of the normal range for men and probably twice that um of the the research that we've done so you know the customers who shop bonobos actually shop bonobos quite frequently and what we've actually found is kind of our top segment of customers are, you know, probably own on average, you know, at least 20 items, which is like a whole wardrobe. So wow. we think a lot about not just about actually selling them more pants or more shirts or whatever it might be, but actually how do we make sure that they understand and know how to leverage the products that they own today in addition to the things that were coming out. So I think it can't always be about upsell, right? If you truly want a relationship and relationships are important to you as a brand, it has to be more than just, I want to sell, sell, sell. It has to be about what can I do for you? even when I'm not trying to sell you. Well, we've got a couple more minutes with you. What do you, what do you think about the future of e-commerce? So if we kind of look out three to five years and you can, you can kind of take us outside. I don't want any secret bonobo stuff, but you know, what do you think that looks like um, from a customer experience standpoint? Yeah, I think, uh, I think a continued focus on relationships. I think that customers want to know who this brand is. They want to have a relationship. They want to feel some sort of level of intimacy, I guess I would say. Um, I think gone are the days that you're just going to buy anywhere. You know, it's a, it's a, of the brands I'm going to shop from, how do you capture my heart and, and also my wallet to some say? So I think you'll start to see a continued focus on on relationships. I think we'll see more e-commerce sites, probably open stores. I think it'll be a little scary in the sense of like, okay, well that, you know, what is that investment? What does that mean? And you continue to see more and more e-commerce, you know, going into this digitally vertical brand, going into having brick and mortar stores. So I think attacking it in a smart manner makes sense. Um I don't know. It's. I mean, I think you know, Amazon obviously is the the uh, wild card that really throws everything up there. But I think what they do and how they attack creating great experiences is is something we should all watch. What if you know? One thing I kind of play out is what if all these other brands start to open up their own stores? You guys have already kind of crossed that. At some point, doesn't it make sense for you guys to band together and like open up like a big store and like are we back to the mall again? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't speak to that. Um, but. Uh, I think, you know, there are definitely strong relationships or partners when it makes sense. It would make sense in some cases for us to, you know, be next to uh, a particular store. But I think in some cases, who knows? Yeah. You never know what the future holds. Yeah. seems like a business model would be some entrepreneur could go start and just, you know, lease a bunch of space and then like sublease it to you guys and almost have like a bizarre kind of a thing, um, which but then it kind of becomes the, you know. A multi-brand retailer at some yeah. point, so it's kind of interesting. Could be interesting. Or a marketplace, for example. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. 
so, you know, I just got back from CES, the mm-hmm. big consumer electronics show, and uh, one of the things I'm excited about in the future of apparel is like better data on the ha- the customer's use of your product in their home. Yep. So Under Armour, like an a- you know, showed a bunch of apparel with sensors in it. Yeah. And one of the things you get out of that is like how many times does it get worn? And mm-hmm. you know, what circumstances does it get worn? And a bunch of the home automation stuff now take pictures of you every time you come or leave the home. So one of the cool analytics we could potentially have in the not too distant future is how many times do I wear which bonobos garments? And you can imagine being able to like proactively market to someone when yep. they've end of life or uh, giving that, that permissioning that, that uh, guide to have access to that when they're recommending new purchases. Stuff it's like incredibly that. scary, but incredibly fascinating. If I think it had there's a, picture a cool of, creepy line there for yeah, sure. Yeah, of all the outfits I wore. And then I just could say, I'm going to point to that. That's what I'll wear today. Yeah, I mean, I I think who knows right right now that's nowhere on our radar list, right? It's um, you know thinking really about uh, how do we make sure we get product into the consumer's hand in a way that that makes sense to them. But I think the future is really exciting to see what happens. So very cool. Well, Dom, uh, it has happened to us again. We have uh, blown through our allotted <laughs> time, but uh, it was thrilling to talk to you. We're big fans, and uh, we'll, we'll hope to have you back on the show in the future. Yeah, so. we'd love to. This has been an honor, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming. We really appreciate it, and thanks to NRF for hosting us. Yeah, and until next time, happy commercing. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.